This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed, back with you this Wednesday with another hour of mystery. We'll begin this week with This Is Your FBI and the Bogus Healer, their story from April 15th, 1949. Then it's Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, and his story from September 22nd, 1949, titled The Yellow Talon Murder Case. The Equitable Life Assurance Society presents This Is Your FBI. This is your FBI, the official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. A-H-O. a H-O. When my husband died, A-H-O saved our home for the children and me. A-H-O stands for Assured Home Ownership. It's the name of a unique plan created by the Equitable Life Assurance Society. A low-cost first mortgage is combined with life insurance protection. So, the homeowner gets extra security. And if he should die, his widow inherits her home free and clear. In just 14 minutes, the Equitable Society will give you further information. Listen carefully for more details on this ideal plan for homeowners offered by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Tonight's FBI file, The Bogus Healer. Having recently completed another of its surveys into the field of crime, the Federal Bureau of Investigation now makes the results of that survey available to you, the listeners of this official program. The facts marshaled in this study do not make pleasant reading. For whatever the economic picture might be in other fields, business is booming in crime. Compared with the last pre-war survey... It shows that almost every crime is being committed from 4 to 68% more often. It shows that the value of property stolen in the past year in the United States amounted to more than $119 million, or slightly less than a dollar for every man, woman, and child in the country. In communities where the citizens took an active part in the war against crime, the figures showed an appreciable decrease. In the communities where the people regarded the local conditions as being a matter of concern only to the police, but not to them, there was a marked increase. Criminals are like any other brand of insect life. They tend to congregate where conditions are most favorable. The police will do their share, and if backed by your support, they will help you see to it that your city has no welcome mat out when the criminals are looking for a place to call home. Tonight's file opens in the waiting room of a small sanitarium located on the outskirts of a western city. A middle-aged woman sits reading a magazine when the door opens. Mrs. Wilson? Yes. Dr. Smith will see you now. Oh, thank you. Go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, Mrs. Wilson. Good morning, Doctor. And how do you feel today? Oh, terribly tired. I was afraid you would be. Uh, Miss Perkins? Yes, Doctor? May I have Mrs. Wilson's x-rays, please? Yes. Doctor, what do they show? They, uh... I'll let you see for yourself. Is it serious? I'm afraid so. Oh, dear. Here you are, Dr. Smith. Thank you. Now, here. Let me hold this up to the light for you, Mr. Wilson. You see that white line? Uh, yes, mm mm-hmm. That indicates the source of all your trouble. Your tiredness, your headaches, everything. Just that little line? Yes. And, uh, there's something else. What is it? You see that blur at the end of the white line? Uh, 
Right there? Yes, that's right. Uh Uh-huh, yes. Mrs. Wilson, that blur indicates the presence of a malignant growth. You mean... I'm afraid it's cancer. Oh, no. No, 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 don't be alarmed. I'm sure we've caught it early enough. It can be cured. Doctor, how? Well, the method I use is highly technical. Uh, I see. I must caution you, however, that uh, it's quite expensive. Oh, I don't care. When can we start the treatment, Doctor? In a day or so. As soon as I've prepared everything I'll need. Oh. I'll call you as soon as I'm ready. Yes, thank you, Doctor. You're very welcome. And until you hear from me, get as much rest as you can. Yes. Yes, I will, Doctor. Goodbye. Goodbye. Eric. What is it, Alma? Has she really got cancer? How would I know? The next afternoon at a nearby FBI field office, Special Agent Jim Taylor is in the teletype room when Agent Ken Randall approaches. Hello, Jim. Oh, hi, Ken. The SAC told me to check with you. Yeah, we're on a robbery case. Jewels? No, radium. Two needles of it were stolen last night in the x-ray room at Memorial Hospital. Any description on the thief? Complete, including his name. Oh, who is he? A man named George Auburn. You know anything else about him? Well, Auburn used to work at the hospital. He's reported to be a chronic alcoholic. What was his job there? He'd been an orderly. Do they still have his address? Oh, we checked there, but he'd already moved. No forwarding address, I presume. All the local police are checking all the neighborhood bars for him now. How do we get in on it? Well, an attendant noticed that Auburn was driving a car with California license plates. Mm. When the radium was discovered missing, the attendant realized that Auburn must have taken it. So he gave the police a license number. They checked. It's a stolen car, and Auburn drove it across the state line. A drunk carrying radium around is a menace, Jim. Mm. If he opens one of those packages, it would give anyone near him the worst kind of burn. Yeah, I know. What have you done? Well, I've just sent out an alarm on Auburn and on the car. Ken, let's go back over to my desk, get his record, and study it. Maybe we'll get some lead on where he's headed. you were staying here at the resort, but I certainly didn't expect to run into you the very first minute I arrived. Oh, it's grand to see you, honey. Oh, goodness, isn't this a beautiful place? Yes, yes, it is. How long have you been here? Almost two weeks. Well, I must say it seems to have done you a world of good. I've never seen you looking better. Oh, well, I'm afraid looks are deceiving. What do you mean? My doctor tells me I'm a very sick woman. Oh, Grace. I thought you promised all of us you wouldn't go to see any new doctors. But this one's different, Lucy. He's a wonderful man. What's his name? Dr. Smith. He's a specialist. In what? Oh, everything. Oh, great. Well, he is. His nurse told me. How did you happen to go to him in the first place? He uh, had an ad in the paper. A doctor with an ad in the paper? It was a very dignified ad, Lucy. Mm Mm-hmm. Has he told you what's wrong with you? Yes. What is it? Cancer? Rage. Oh, but it's not hopeless, Lucy. Dr. Smith says he caught it in an early stage and he can cure it. Grace, I don't believe you have cancer. But, Lucy, Now, look, dear, how much do you know about this doctor? What makes you so willing to accept his diagnosis? He's a very fine man, Lucy. What school did he go to? Well, I'm sure I don't know. Might be worthwhile to check on him before you go back. Oh, please don't be silly. When are you going to see him again? He's going to call me. When? Well, as soon as he's ready to give me another treatment. All right. I'll give you a few questions to ask him. Ken, can anything come in on that George Auburn alarm? Not a thing, Jim. I think I found something in his record that'll help. Good, what is it? While Auburn was working at the hospital, there were regular disappearances of valuable drugs. Is he an addict? No, and he wasn't suspected of the thefts until one night he came to work drunk and was fired. A few hours later, they found some morphine missing. He was picked up the next morning, but he didn't have the morphine on him. Did he admit he'd stolen it? Well, he said he'd been drinking and didn't remember. The police put a surveillance on him. That afternoon, Auburn went to the office of a man calling himself Dr. Eric Gray. 
The local police got a search warrant, went through Gray's office, and found the morphine there. Was this a legitimate doctor? No, it turned out that he was a quack who allegedly treated people for cancer. He was using the stolen drugs on his patients. One of them died through his mistreatment. Oh. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? Yes. Where is this Gray now? I wish we knew. He wasn't in his office at the time of the search. He must have been tipped off in some way. By the time the police tried to arrest him, he'd fled from the state. How much could you dig up on him? Mostly that he's going to be awfully tough to find. He must be operating again. Yeah, that's logical. Ken, I'm also convinced that if we locate Gray, we'll find Auburn. Alma? Alma? Yes? Will you come here, please? I sure. Oh, I've just had a session with Mrs. Wilson. She has a friend who has been trying to talk her out of coming here. Eric, I'm afraid you've got more trouble. What do you mean? George Auburn was just here. What? He wanted to see you. Where is he now? He went back into town. What for? I don't know. How did he know where we were? He called my mother. How did she know? I wrote her. Alma, I ask you not to write anyone. I'm sorry, Eric. Well, that helps a lot. Mrs. Wilson's the wealthiest patient I've ever handled. I'm not going to lose her because of that drunken idiot, Auburn. He said he'd be back, of course. Oh, yes. Well, I want to see him as soon as he arrives. Ken, this could be a lead. On the bogus doctor? No, on Auburn. A report came in from the traffic control station at Johnson City. Did the stolen car go through? Yeah, Auburn was driving it. How come they didn't stop him? Oh, it's just one of those things, Ken. The officer didn't think about the alarm until after he'd let Auburn drive away. Oh, that's dandy. Well, we might still catch up to him. Here. Take a look at this map, would you? Uh, oh, here. See this road here? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the road the control station is on. It's not the main highway. Now, here, this is where the hospital is that was robbed. Mm-hmm. Here's the traffic control station. Now, why would anybody use that road when the highway was available? Think he did it to avoid the police? No, there's no reason for him to suspect that there was an alarm out on him. No. I believe he took this route in order to get to this town over here. Farwell. Ken, there's a train that'll get into Farwell in the morning, and I think we ought to be on it. Auburn's here. Oh, send him in. Go in, George. Thank you, thank you. Well, greetings, Doc. Good to see you. Alma, close the door, please. See that we're not disturbed. Surely. Mm, quite a setup you got here, Doc. I, I like it even better than the last place. <laughs> Makes you look almost legitimate. Why did you come here? Well, I, I, I guess you'd say for a variety of reasons. Partly nostalgia, not seeing you in so long, and... And partly business. I'm not interested in the business phases. In fact, I'm not interested in you. Oh, now, Doc, that's a very unkind thing to say. And after all the trouble I went through, too. What do you mean? I I, I brought you something, a present. Something that will be a, a boon to your medical career. What are you talking about? You're the man who cures cancer, aren't you? I, I got something that might really help you do it. Got it right here in this little container. You know what it is, Doc? Radium. That's real radium? Uh-huh. I borrowed it from the hospital. You get out of here and take that stuff with you. Now, wait a minute, Doc. This is hardly the treatment I expected. I spent my last dough getting here to see you. I thought I might negotiate a little sale with this precious ingredient. Auburn, I'm ordering you to leave. Doc, I think you should be reminded of something. The cops back home are still looking for you. I could be real mean and tell them where you are. Now, ordinarily, I wouldn't think of doing such a thing, especially to an old pal like you, but if you're going to take that attitude, if you're going to be that in hospital, then I might have to report you to the gentleman in blue. You're chum. Now, how about putting me up for the night, Doc? I've had a long day and a quantity of whiskey. I think if I had a good night's sleep, you 
might find me easier to negotiate with in the morning. Very well. You can stay. Uh, you wait here a moment. I'll have Alma show you to your room. Thank you, sir. I consider you a fine host and a very sporting fellow. Alma. I'm in here. Auburn's spending the night. What? I had no choice. He threatened to turn me into the police. Mm. Show him to his room, will you? Eric, if you let him stay tonight, he'll move right in. I have a way of preventing that. How? I'll kill him. We will return in just a moment to tonight's file which shows how your FBI protects American citizens and American homes. Now a word about another type of home protection. A plan which not only safeguards the owner during his lifetime, but also continues to protect his widow if he should die. Just listen in on this telephone conversation between a young widow and her father. Hello? Dad, listen to this news. A representative of the Equitable Society just called to deliver the canceled mortgage on our house. Yes, Fred told me that you'd own the house free and clear if he should die. <laughs> not only that, Dad. The equitable man handed me a check for all the money Fred paid to reduce the mortgage during his lifetime. This young woman's husband didn't have just an ordinary mortgage. He had an equitable, assured home ownership plan. In this plan, a low-cost first mortgage is integrated with life insurance protection. That's why the widow inherited a house that's hers free and clear. What's more, every dollar previously paid to reduce the mortgage was returned. Our plan had been operating for several years, so my refund check amounted to over $2,300. Now let's run over some other features of the Equitable Society's Assured Home Ownership Plan. First, there's the cash fund which builds up in the owner's lifetime and which may be used whenever sickness or unemployment threaten home security. Second, this cash fund may be used to cancel the mortgage well ahead of schedule. Equitable Society records show that many 20-year mortgages have been completely paid off in just about 15 years. Finally, the mortgage interest is only 4%, and there's a liberal allowance to cover title search, lawyer's fees, and other closing costs. So, for many reasons, a man may consider himself lucky if his health, age, income, and the location of his home enable him to qualify for an equitable, assured home ownership plan. For full information, see your Equitable Society representative or write care of this station to the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. And now back to the FBI file, The Bogus Healer. The number of people who die of cancer each year in the United States, people from every section of the country and from every walk of life, is more than twice as great as the number of servicemen killed in any year during World War II. It is certainly tragic that it should be necessary for the Federal Bureau of Investigation to warn you that throughout the nation there are quacks similar to the one portrayed on tonight's program. If you should make the mistake of giving one of them the opportunity, he will not only mulct you of your money, but he might even, as has been pointed out, cost you your very life. According to medical authorities, certain forms of cancer, caught in their early stages, can be cured. But do not conduct your own diagnosis. If you suspect cancer, go to a reputable doctor who is quite likely to find that you do not have cancer at all. Beware of the charlatans who call themselves doctors without the legal right to do so. They are the ones who promise every patient anything the patient wants to hear. It is also well to remember that these quacks cannot affect recovery in any cancer case, no matter how early it is caught. So if you happen across one of them, 
across a pseudo-doctor who promises to cure cancer in any stage. Do your duty to yourself and to your fellow citizens. Go to the nearest phone and call your local police. Tonight's file continues in a room at the Farwell Police Station. What have you got there, Jim? Oh, it's a map of the territory between the traffic control station and here. Oh, let's lay it out. Okay. Hold that corner down there, will you? Yeah. Oh, let's take a look. Where is it? Oh, here's the traffic station where Auburn was seen. Let's put a pin there, huh? Mm-hmm. Got it. Here's the gas station where he stopped last night at 8.30. Check. Now we'll jump all the way down into town. He parked his car in front of a liquor store on 2nd. Here it is, 2nd and Main at 9.45. Put a pin there, will you? Okay. Now, uh, the last pin... The last pin goes back up here, other side of town. That's a station where he got air for a bad tire. That was at uh, 10 o'clock sharp. Now, that means the car came all the way through town to the liquor store, then headed back the way it came. So we can discard everything past this last gas station so far as searching is concerned. Right. However, we must assume that Auburn was headed for some place in Farwell or up here on the outskirts. So we'll confine our search from this pencil line to this one. I'll take the territory north of Main Street. Right. Have you got the copies of Auburn's picture? Yeah, yeah. Here you are. Good. Okay, let's start looking, Ken. Check back here every half hour. Good morning, Dr. Smith. Oh, good morning, Mrs. Wilson. Oh, Doctor, this is Mrs. Douglas. She's the friend I told you about. How do you do, Mrs. Hello. Douglas? Doctor, I'd, um... I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes, if I may. Well, certainly. Just as soon as I finish Mrs. Wilson's treatment. Oh, may I speak with you before you treat Mrs. Wilson? Well... You see, um... One thing I wanted to discuss is the way you're treating her. Precisely what is it you'd like to know? Your qualifications. Well, I'm not used to having them questioned. Well, I'm not used to having my closest friend treated for cancer. Perhaps you'd like to see Mrs. Wilson's x-rays. Oh, no, no, thank you. I never could read them. Then I do wish you'd get to the point. I, um... I understand that Mrs. Wilson came to you through an advertisement in the newspaper. That's right. May I see your medical diploma, please? Burned when I had a fire in my last office. What school is it from? I don't see what importance that has. Grace, yes. Unless you see some satisfactory proof that this gentleman is qualified to treat you, I not only would refuse to be his patient, but I'd call the police. Oh, Lucy, please. Mrs. Wilson, I release you as my patient. Oh, but, Doctor, she If didn't... you have to hesitate about remaining under my care, even for a second, I must wash my hands of the entire case. Oh, please, Dr. Smith, I'm please... sorry. Nothing can change my decision. I must request that you both leave. Oh, dear. Well, all right. Good day. Goodbye, Doctor. Goodbye. Alma. Alma. Yes, what is it? Go pack our bags. We're getting out of here. Jim, I hear the police located our bogus doctor. That's right, Ken. How did that happen? Well, a woman named Mrs. Douglas called in here while we were out. She registered a complaint against a man named Dr. Smith. He was treating a friend of hers for cancer, but she stopped it. The sergeant on duty who took the call went right over to the address the woman gave, but the doctor and his nurse had gone. But he did find George Auburn there. He'd been poisoned. Dead? No, fortunately, he was able to be revived. How about the radium? This Smith and his nurse took that with them. Are they traveling in the stolen car, Jim? No, Smith is using his own car. Any description on that one? No, none at all. Oh, fine. Auburn was questioned after being revived, but he was unable to give any rational statements to the police doctor. What was stymied again? Not entirely, Ken. A neighbor saw Smith and the girl turn onto Highway 9, headed west. How long ago did they leave? Within the last 15 minutes. Are you sure? Yes, the woman who registered the complaint said she and her friend were there 15 minutes ago. Ken, if the university can help us, we might be able to catch them. Come on.
How'd you know there was a drawbridge on this road? It's not on the map. Well, this is the way our train came last night. That's what gave me the idea of having it open now to stop Smith and the girl. Hey, hey, it's working. Stop the car again. Come on, let's get up and walk. Right. I'll slide out that way, Jim. Okay. Here, can you carry the case? Yeah, right. Swire. It's one of these cars right along here. We're very close. Mm-hmm. This is the car. Would you step out of the car, please? Who are you? We're special agents of the FBI. What do you want? Two needles of radium, for one thing. I don't know what you're talking about. A Geiger counter never lies. You hear it? Now, both of you will please step out onto the road. George Auburn was sentenced in a federal court to 10 years for violation of the National Motor Theft Act. For his mistreatment of a former patient, which caused the patient's death, the bogus doctor was turned over to local authorities for prosecution of manslaughter. Every special agent of the Federal Bureau of Investigation undergoes a rigorous period of training before he gets his credentials. That training includes many things. The use of firearms, the art of investigation, a smattering of law, the taking and the giving of evidence so that it is presentable in court and other courses that enable the graduate better to do his job. One of those courses teaches the would-be agent how to adapt the latest in science to his use. Teaches him, for instance, that the Geiger counter can help him locate a criminal who might otherwise almost be beyond reach, even as the bogus doctor would have been in tonight's case. Every special agent, like every other person, possesses intuition, and there are times when the temptation to follow that intuition is almost overpowering. But the Federal Bureau of Investigation has taught its members that there is a mightier weapon, and that weapon is the one which led to the solution of tonight's case. That weapon is knowledge. In just a moment, we will tell you about next week's exciting case from the files of your FBI. Now, a word to the wives. Let's consider the Equitable Society's Assured Home Ownership Plan from the woman's point of view. While her husband lives, she has extra protection from the plan's special cash fund, which can be used if sickness or unemployment threaten home security. If her husband dies, the mortgage is automatically canceled. For full information, see your Equitable Society representative without delay. Or write care of this station to the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Next week, we will dramatize another case from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. A factual account of the pursuit and arrest of a cunning criminal. Its subject, blackmail. Its title, The Larsonous Landlady. The incidents used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are adapted from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. Tonight, the music was composed and conducted by Frederick Steiner, the author was Jerry D. Lewis. Your narrator was William Woodson, and Special Agent Taylor was played by Stacey Harris. Others in the cast were Eleanor Audley, B. Benaderet, Rye Billsbury, Herb Butterfield, Bill Johnstone, and Mary Ship. This is Your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. This is Larry Keating speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time when the Equitable Life Assurance Society will bring you another thrilling story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Larsonous Landlady on This Is Your FBI. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.
It's time now for Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons. Ladies and gentlemen, Anison and Kalinos present Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons. One of the most famous characters of American fiction in one of radio's most thrilling dramas. Tonight and every Thursday at the same time, the famous old investigator takes from his file and brings to us one of his most celebrated missing persons cases. Tonight's case is entitled The Yellow Talon Murder Case. Today, many thousands of people are thankful to their physicians or dentists for first having introduced them to that remarkable preparation called anison, which brings such incredibly fast and effective relief from the pains of headaches, neuritis, or neuralgia. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, it contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients. So ask for easy-to-take anison tablets at your drug counter next time you suffer pains from headache, Neuritis or neuralgia. For most effective relief, use on is directed. I'll repeat the name for you. Anacin. A-N-A-C-I-N. Now for Mr. Keene and the Yellow Talon murder case. Our scene opens in the study of a country home on the Hudson River, some 50 miles from New York. An attractive, auburn-haired young woman has just entered the room. And as she shakily picks up the telephone and dials a number, it is obvious that she is under some frightful strain. Why don't they answer? Why don't they answer? Operator. Oh, operator. I've been trying to get the police. It's a matter of life and death. For heaven's sake. Hello? 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 The phone. The line's been cut. The phone's dead. No. No. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. Can I help you, young fella? Are you Mr. Keene? Oh, I'm Mike Clancy, his partner. Mr. Keene's in his private office. Uh, did you and this young lady have uh, an appointment with him? No, I I just hoped I'd get a chance to see him right away. It's rather important. Please, tell him Philip Carter's here. It's terribly urgent. Oh, here's the boss now. Mike, uh, do you have the Roberts folder? Are you Mr. Keene, sir? Yes. My name is Philip Carter, and this is my fiancée, Eloise Gray. Could you possibly give us a few minutes of your time, sir? I'd be very grateful. Just what is it you want to see me about, Philip? A murder, Mr. Keene. It's Philip's sister, Helen. She was... She was killed last night in Philip's home. Saints preserve us, but we didn't read anything about it in the papers, young fella. The family estate is 50 miles from here, on the Hudson. It will probably be reported in the newspapers later today. Well, sit down, Philip. And you, Miss Gray. Mike, we can let the Roberts matter drop for a while. Doesn't seem to be as urgent as this. Okay, Mr. King. Now, suppose you give me the details, Philip. My sister, Helen, was found in the study about midnight by our Uncle Jonathan. He's been living with us ever since the death of our parents years ago. I'll never forget last night as long as I live, Mr. King. I saw Helen's body, too. You were in the house at the time of the crime, Heloise? I was asleep. Philip's uncle woke me up and sent me into town for the police. The phone wires had been cut. How was Helen Carter killed? That was the most horrible thing of all, Mr. Keene. My sister had been strangled, and her throat was terribly lacerated. It was as if some gigantic bird with sharp talons or claws had attacked her. A bird? Saints preserve us. What made you think of a bird, Philip? Because of this. It was found near my sister's body. 
The police permitted me to bring it here when I told them I was going to ask you to enter the case, Mr. Keene. Well, let me see that, Philip. Hmm. Mike, what do you make of this? Well, it looks like a, a talon, Mr. Keene. A yellow claw. Yes, the type of claw an eagle or a hawk might have. And yet this particular talon is too big for an ordinary hawk. If it actually came from a bird, the bird must have been gigantic. Sure, and it makes your spine crawl just to look at it, boss. It's as sharp as a razor. Mm. What other facts are there to the case, Philip? Well, according to Uncle Jonathan, he was awakened around midnight by some kind of horrible scream. At first he thought it was one of his pets, but later he changed his mind. What kind of pets does your uncle keep? Falcons. In medieval times, as you probably know, Mr. Keene, hunters would train falcons to help them bag their game. Well, I've never even seen one of them things. Well, a falcon is a hawk, Mike, and a very clever and ferocious bird. Hundreds of years ago, they were trained to go after small game. They can be quite wild and dangerous. Uncle Jonathan Briggs is an eccentric, I guess. He's been a little peculiar ever since he lost his fortune years ago and came to live with us. We've been supporting him. It hasn't been difficult. Dad left a very considerable estate when he died. Your Uncle Jonathan and your fiancée, Miss Eloise, were the only people in the house at the time of your sister's murder? Yes, Mr. Keene. My sister Helen had a personal maid, Amy Parrish, but she had taken the evening off and she didn't return until very late. Philip, I, I, I think you also ought to tell Mr. Keene about Kim Bradhurst. And who is Kim Bradhurst? A neighbor. He was in love with my sister. He used to make a pest of himself. I once had to throw him out of the house bodily because he annoyed her so. Was he questioned by the police? Yes, Mr. Keene, but he had an alibi. He was ill all day yesterday and in bed. He had a doctor visit him about nine last night. Mr. Keene, Philip's sister Helen was one of my best friends and a wonderful girl. I never thought she made an enemy in her life until now. We were very close, Helen and I. And if I ever get my hands on the killer... Philip, please. Don't talk like that. You frighten me. Let Mr. Keene and the police handle the case. There's been enough horror already. Your fiancé is right, Philip. No matter how you feel, the law must take its course. I understand that, sir. Will you come back to the house with us, Mr. Keene? Philip was afraid to leave me there alone after what happened. That's why I came with him to New York. Eloise was spending a few days with Helen while I attended a horse show near here. I've shown a few entries every year, but I only wish I'd never even thought of it this time. Maybe if I'd been at home last night, I'd have been able to save my sister's life. Well, something you certainly couldn't foresee, Philip. Mike, suppose we drive out to the Carter Estate, along with Philip and Eloise. I'll get the car, Mr. Keene. We're having my sister's funeral at two o'clock this afternoon. I guess we'll just have time to make it. Then suppose Mike and I go to your house, Philip. You and Miss Eloise can attend the funeral... While we make a preliminary investigation. Whatever you say, Mr. Keene. This yellow talon is most strange, to say the least. Certainly it couldn't have been some monstrous bird. It's and... dreadful. It makes me shudder just to look at it. When I think of poor Helen, I... I know, it's... it's shocking. But I promise you, Philip, I'll see this case through to the end. No matter how great the risk. That must be the Carter house, Mr. Keene, right in front of us. Yes, and apparently that's where the road ends, Mike. Oh, saints preserve us. What's the trouble? Did you see that, boss? What? Well, something flew by the car on the left just a second ago. Mr. Keene, look out. It's some kind of a hawk. Yes, Mike, it's, it's a falcon. One of Uncle Jonathan's, I imagine. Well, it's... Flying back to the house. Try to see where it lands, Mike. There. There she goes. Up behind them gables on the roof. And she's a beauty, isn't she? Mr. Keene, who's that fellow? Ah, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. By any chance, are you Philip Carter's uncle? Why, yes, I'm Jonathan Briggs. Who may you be? My name is Keene. This is my partner, Mike Clancy. Keene, the eminent investigator. You've come to look into the death of my niece, Helen. At your nephew, Philip's request. I imagined you'd be at your niece's funeral, Mr. Briggs. I don't like funerals, Mr. Keene. I never attend them. Well, 
Would you mind showing us to the house? Not at all. But let me tell you that you're just wasting your time here. Am I? As well as risking your life. The house is no good. It's cursed with bad luck. Well, we'll risk it, Mr. Briggs. Suit yourself. But just remember that I warned you. This way, Mr. Keene. Amy! Amy, where are you? Oh, maid's never around when you want her. Make yourself at home, Mr. Keene and Mr. Clancy. Oh, thank you, Mr. Briggs. It certainly is a big house. Must be 20 or 30 rooms in this place. Yes, it's big. Big and cold. You don't seem to like it very much, Mr. Briggs. I don't. Then why do you stay? Because I can't go anywhere else. Besides, Sir Richard and Lady Sharp would miss the woods. And who are Sir Richard and Lady Sharp? My birds, my falcons. You saw Sir Richard a moment ago when he flew past your car. He's as fast as lightning, that one is. I've spent three years training him how to kill. Not a very cheerful hobby you've got, Mr. Briggs. He attacks only field mice and small animals, Mr. Clancy. Would that falcon be capable of attacking a human being? I knew you'd come to that, Mr. Keene. They want to blame my niece Helen's death on one of my birds. Well, it's ridiculous. Those falcons are as harmless as two pigeons. There's Preservus. What was that? Sounded like Amy the maid. Get him out of here. Keep him away. Amy. Amy, control yourself. Why are you carrying on? It's one of your falcons. He flew in through the window and almost blinded me. Stop acting like a child. It's probably Sir Richard. Uh, I'll, I'll find him. Calm yourself, Amy. You're not in any danger. My name is Keene. Mr. Keene, the great investigator? Oh, I was hoping Mr. Carter would call you in, sir. The most terrible things have been going on in this house. So I've heard. It's those birds. Well, you'd think they were human the way Mr. Briggs talks to them. One of them killed Miss Helen, I know it. And I'll be next. Oh, no, take it easy, Amy. No one's going to do any killing while we're around. Tell me something about Miss Helen Carter. Was she on good terms with her Uncle Jonathan? As far as I know, sir. I guess he's a harmless one himself, though he... Acts like a loon sometimes. But it's those vicious birds, those falcons. I can't stand them. I don't think Helen Carter was murdered by a bird angel. No? In fact, I'm sure of it. But, Mr. Keene, I've heard of eagles and hawks attacking people sometimes and even killing them. That's true. A bird the size of a hawk might possibly attack a man or a woman if it was provoked. But it certainly wouldn't bother to cut a telephone wire before doing it. Well, I never thought of that, boss. Sir Richard! Sir Richard, come back here! Come back! Don't, don't shoot me! Faith, and now what's going on in this place? It's a shotgun blast, Mike. Sounds as if it came from outside the house. Come along with me. Mr. Keene, look. Who are you? I was just going to ask you the same question. Kim Bradhurst, my name. Where's Jonathan? I've got a little present for him. You killed him. You killed Sir Richard. I'll say I have. I was glad to blast his ugly head off. You'll find him out there in the woods, Jonathan. If that other bird of yours starts going after my chicken, she'll get the same dose. You murderous study, Mr. Briggs. Take him inside the house, Mike. Come along. He, he killed my falcon. I swear accounts. I swear accounts if it's the last thing that I do. What did you say your name was, mister? I didn't say, but it happens to be Keene. Oh, famous investigator, huh? And I suppose you've come to find out how Helen Carter died. Well, I loved her as much as anyone. You find the killer, I'll be happy to help you take care of him. I won't need any help on that score, Mr. Brighthurst. But I assure you, I intend to find him or her, no matter how dangerous the task it may be. Helen Carter was murdered by a human being, not a bird. Although it appears her killer had talons. And I'm going to see that those talons are clipped for good. In just a moment, we'll return to Mr. Keene and the Yellow Talon murder case. Meanwhile, beware of unpleasing breath that breathes between teeth. Get Kalinos toothpaste with amazing dental floss action for a clean mouth and a pleasing breath. 
Most unpleasing breath breeds between the teeth in the deep recesses where food particles can collect and decay. These are the places that must be reached to have a really clean mouth, a pleasant breath. Your dentist knows this to be true. Now, Kalinos toothpaste gives you dental floss action. That is, sends thousands of active cleansing bubbles to penetrate hard-to-reach dental areas. Helps dislodge bits of food that can cause unpleasing breath and tooth decay. What's more, Kalinos has high-polishing action. Brightens dingy teeth by removing ordinary yellow surface stains. Kalinos is gentle, safe for even children's teeth and tender gums. Enjoy its cool, clean, minty flavor. Most refreshing toothpaste ever. Test Kalinos in your own way. Keeps your teeth bright, your breath right. Kalinos toothpaste is dentist approved, dentist recommended. Get the Kalinos with dental floss action today. Save 31 cents on the giant economy size. Now back to Mr. Keene and the yellow talon murder case. The strange and terrifying murder of pretty Helen Carter brings Mr. Keene, the famous investigator, and his partner, Mike Clancy, to the Carter home 50 miles from New York, the scene of the crime. The victim appeared to have been attacked by some gigantic bird. And the only clue discovered so far is a large, broken yellow talon, as sharp as a knife. Now it's shortly after midnight, and in the room Mr. Keene and Mike have been given, Mike is suddenly awakened from his sleep the sound of someone moving about. Quietly, Mike reaches under his pillow for his revolver, and then raises himself on one elbow and prepares for action. Don't move. Whoever you are, mister, don't move or I'll shoot. It's me, Mike. Everything's all right. Mr. Keene, what are you doing, sir? I heard someone moving about the house. Don't put the lights on, Mike. Just slip into your robe and slippers and follow me. I'll be right with you, boss. Just one second. Ready, Mike? Yes, sir. Then follow me. This way, down the hall. This house seems to be as quiet as a tomb. I'm sure there's a prowler about, though. Boss, look. There's a light moving towards us at the end of the hall. Someone with a candle in his hand. Stand back against the wall until he reaches us. He hasn't seen us yet. Boss, it's... Yes, Mike. It's Philip Carter's uncle. Jonathan Briggs. Looking for something, Mr. Briggs? What are you doing, Mr. Keene? Spying on me? I was just wondering what you were up to at this hour. You and your partner here think I'm crazy, don't you? You think there's something wrong with my mind. On the contrary. I believe you're a lot more aware of what's going on than you appear. You're looking for a murderer, aren't you? You're looking for the man who killed my niece, Helen. Well, maybe you'll have two murderers on your hands. What do you mean by that? Kim Bradhurst killed my pet falcon. He killed one of my birds for no reason at all. Because he wanted to see how miserable he could make me. Well, when I get my hands on Bradhurst, he'll wish he'd never been born. Mr. Briggs, maybe you ought to go back to your room. Don't touch me! I can take care of myself. I'm not as old and decrepit as my nephew seems to think. He may be supporting Let's me, but... Let's go, me! Let's go! Help! Help me, someone! Mr. King. He's coming from that room, Mike. That's the maid's room, Amy's. The door's locked, boss. Break it down, Mike. Wait! I'll let you in! What's going on here? Oh, it's Eloise, my nephew's fiancée. What's the trouble, Eloise? This maid, Amy, is a thief. She's got a room full of things that belong to Helen Carter. I heard her prowling around the house, and I followed her here to her room. I caught her with my purse. I left it downstairs on the table by mistake before I went to bed. Is that true, Amy? Well, I guess there's no point in saying no. You have the evidence. What's the trouble, Mr. King? What's going on here? I'm afraid your housemaid, Amy, is in a very difficult situation, Philip. She's evidently a thief. Look, Philip. The closet door is open. There's a pair of shoes that belong to your sister, Helen. She even stole her clothes. Miss Eloise, what's happened to your hand? Well, you've got her cut on the palm, young lady. Amy scratched me when I tried to take my bag away from her. She fought like a wildcat. Well, what'd you expect me to do? Smile at you when you grabbed me? Anyway, I, I, I didn't take much. It isn't as bad as all that. I'm afraid it's a lot more serious than you imagine, Amy. You not only face a charge of larceny, but also one of murder in the first degree. Murder? Oh, no. No, I, 
I didn't kill Helen Carter. I swear I didn't, Mr. Keene. You can defend yourself in court, Amy. I'm asking Mr. Keene to see to it that you're placed under arrest. Well, at least give me a chance to call someone. An attorney? No, no, not a lawyer. Uh, Mr. Bradhurst. Jim Bradhurst, our neighbor. What's he got to do with this? Well, never mind. He owes me a little something, at least protection. Let me call him. That's all I ask. All right, Amy. Go ahead. I'll keep her company, boss. Just to see that she behaves herself. Right, Mike. So it was Amy Parrish who murdered my niece, eh? Perhaps. But this case isn't quite finished, Mr. Briggs. We may be due for another surprise. In any event, we'll hear what Mr. Bradhurst has to say. That must be Kim Bradhurst now. Philip. Yes, Mr. Keene? I suggest you take your uncle to his room. There may be trouble between the two. Very well, Mr. Keene. Come on, Uncle Jonathan. All right. I'll go. Can't stand looking at him anyway. Here's Kim Bradhurst, Mr. Keene. Still carrying his shotgun, I notice. Maybe I like to carry it around, Mr. Clancy. Well, now, Amy... What is it you want to say to Mr. Bradhurst? Mr. Keene's accusing me of murder, Mr. Bradhurst. They all say I killed Miss Helen. That's ridiculous. We found Amy the maid with stolen goods a little while ago. And she admitted taking most of it from the murdered girl, Helen Carter. I don't know anything about stolen goods, Mr. Keene. But I'll stake my reputation on the fact that Amy didn't murder Helen. What makes you so sure, Mr. Bradhurst? Because she was Helen's confidant, as well as her personal maid. And she's a friend of mine. Amy's done me many a favor, making things easier for me when Helen was alive. I'll return those favors by backing her to the limit. In what way did Amy help you, Mr. Bradhurst? I can tell you that, Mr. Keene. Well, Miss Eloise, do you know? Amy used to inform Kim Bradhurst when Helen's brother Philip was out of the house, so he could try to see her on the sly. It used to frighten me. I knew that Philip disliked Kim, and I, I thought one day it would lead to trouble. Do you know why he carries that gun around with him all the time? I don't mind admitting it. Your sweetheart Philip's a big man, Eloise. He's stronger than I am. I made up my mind to take care of him the next time he put a hand on me. Mike, ask Philip Carter to bring his uncle Jonathan back to the room. And ask Jonathan to bring his pet falcon along. Okay, boss. No, I'm afraid of that bird. I don't want to see it. Don't worry, Amy. I got rid of one of those falcons with a shotgun can do the same for the second. I advise you to be careful, Mr. Bradhurst, and keep that gun lowered. But why bring the falcon in, Mr. Keene? You'll see in just a moment, Miss Eloise. Please, just call me Eloise. I feel as though we've known each other for a long time, Mr. Keene. That's all. I feel the same way, Eloise. Just step inside, Mr. Briggs. What do you want with me? My bird, Mr. Keene. I just wanted to make a test, Mr. Briggs. Look at that bird. It's horrible. Do you also think the falcon is horrible, Eloise? No. I think it's a beautiful bird, Mr. King. Yes, Eloise always liked my falcons. She understands them. Perhaps even more than you imagine, Mr. Briggs. What? Just what are you getting at, Mr. King? I'm afraid I have some shocking news for you, Philip. In my opinion, your fiance, Eloise Gray is a murderess. She I... murdered your sister, Helen. What's that you say? Eloise? Mr. Keeney, are you joking? A few minutes ago, Eloise claimed that she followed Amy to her room and caught her with her purse. Well, Amy admitted it, didn't she? Yes, she admitted it, Eloise, and she did steal your purse. But you didn't follow her or see her take it. You were waiting for Amy in her room. And may I ask how you know? The door was locked. If you had followed the thief to her room, you certainly wouldn't have locked the door yourself. It would have put you in a dangerous position. No, it was Amy who locked her own door when she entered, thinking she was alone. And you were waiting there to kill her, the way you killed Helen Carter. That's a lie, Mr. Keene. No, it's not a lie, Eloise. And I have further proof. You said Amy scratched your hand when you struggled with her for the purse. I noticed that Amy bites her fingernails. They aren't long enough to scratch anyone. Then, Mr. Keene, how did Eloise get that cut on her palm? She inflicted it on herself by accident. She was wearing sharp talons, yellow talons. Use on Amy as she did on your sister. <laughs> look, look at her, Mr. Keene. Yes, yes, I killed her. She hated me. 
She wanted to break off my engagement to Philip. But that isn't true, Eloise. She loved you. Loved me? Wasn't she trying to call the police? Yes, and you cut the phone wire. In some way, Helen found out what you wear, Eloise, and she tried to protect herself. Boss, look what she's putting on her hands. The talons, the sharp claws. She wears them like gloves. You hate me too, kid. And you'll get what she got now. Mr. King, look out. Saints preserve us, but I was almost too paralyzed to move. Did you see how she acted, boss? Why, she waved her arms like, like she was some kind of a hawk and, and went for your throat, Mr. Keene. Yes, Mike. Mr. Bradhurst, I'm sorry you used your gun. Mike would have been able to subdue her. Couldn't help it, Mr. Keene. When I saw the insane look in her face, watched her reach for your neck with her talons, well, I tried to protect you instinctively. Well, I suppose she's better off. She was undoubtedly insane. Mr. Keene, I, I can't believe it. How could anyone change so? I'm sorry, Philip. But in my opinion, your fiancée had a split personality. She changed from a human being to what you've just seen, a homicidal maniac. How long had you known her? Only a, a few months. And your sister, Helen, actually was very fond of her, Philip? Yes, Mr. Keene. Well, Eloise had to have some excuse for murder in her poor, distorted mind. So as she imagined, Helen was trying to ruin her life. Amy would have been her second victim. It went for a stroke of luck. However, we can consider the case to be closed. We've solved the mystery of the Yellow Talon murder. So Mr. Keene finds the solution to the Yellow Talon murder case. The next time you're suffering from the pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia, try Anison. You'll bless the day you heard of this incredibly fast way to relieve these pains. Now, the reason Anison is so wonderfully fast-acting and effective is this. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thousands of people have received envelopes containing Anison tablets from their own dentist or physician, and in this way have discovered the incredibly fast relief Anison brings from pain of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. So next time such pain strikes, take Anison. For most effective relief, Use only as directed. Your druggist has Anison in handy boxes of 12 and 30 and economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100. The name is Anison. A-N-A-C-I-N. Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, is based on the novel, Mr. Keene. The radio sequel is originated and produced by Frank and Ann Hummer. Dialogue by Lawrence Cleek. Bennett Kilpack plays Mr. Keene. It is on the air every Thursday at this time. Don't miss Mr. Keene next Thursday when the kindly old Tracer turns to the case of murder with a thousand witnesses. Ever suffer heartburn from acid indigestion? New Bicidol Mints, medically proven, quickly rid stomach of that blown-up feeling anywhere, anytime. Bicidol Mints give longer-lasting relief than baking soda, help prevent immediate return of the trouble, soothe irritated stomach lining, let you sleep when indigestion strikes at night. Carry new Bicidol Mints for fast relief. And always have Bicidol Powder in your home. Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, will be on the air next Thursday at the same time. This is Larry Elliott saying goodbye for Mr. Keene and the Whitehall Pharmacal Company, makers of Anison and Colonos, and many other dependable, high-quality drug products. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. 
That's it for Case Closed this week. We'll be back next Wednesday with another hour. In between now and then, you can find more from Mr. Keen. This is your FBI, past episodes of Case Closed, and all of the other Relic Radio podcasts, all at the website, relicradio.com. Our shoutcast stream is up and running there as well, and you can donate and help support this and all of the shows by visiting donate.relicradio.com or clicking on one of the links on the website. Your support makes all of this happen. Thanks again to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Case Closed.